there was a moment at my job where I was on lunch and I was finishing up one of your movies and there's only like four people in our office. The movie finished. I flipped it over. I closed it. And I just kind of sat there. And the person next to me, Emily, was like, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm going to kill my podcast partner. And she's like, she goes, why? I said, oh, oh, you don't even know. I said, the thing I just sat through. I said, I don't know if I've ever been this mad at him before. And he's put me through some <laughs> real stuff before. And like, even this, like, I don't even know how to describe how angry I was. And, you know, I've sat with that for the better part of like four or five days. So I'm less angry now. Now it's probably, I'm just going to like, clip you with the car like like ma like the movie ma <laughs> um i felt the same way i had to i well, upon finishing one of the movies i had to uh close my eyes and take a long walk stare at a lake you know really think about how i put money into <laughs> pocket really just come to grips with that you know you know just think about whether or not the worst thing ever did was you know shooting twilight zone and committing manslaughter or you know giving the world max landis yeah it's a real toss-up in my mind anyway uh we can we can we can carry on well it's a perfect way to go in all right let's see if i remember how to do this end of your Welcome, everyone, to TWGTF, or as everyone knows it, Two White Guys Talking Film, Best of the Horror Decade, 1980 to 1984, Part 1. I'm not doing that voice the whole time. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Ben, and joining me as always. I'm the ghoulish Dr. Von Tyler. What do you have a doctorate in? Thugonomics. Oh, I was going to say, is it upsetting people? Cause, cause that's, <laughs> which I guess thugonomics could be a subsect of. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was taught underneath John Cena. It was really difficult because you know you could never see the professor. It's, it's impossible show to show up to class twenty minutes from. late. He could be there. He could not. He could not. You know, you never know. You never know. Well, I don't think we should waste any time. Do you want me to start, or do you want to start? Do you want to end on? a good movie or do you want to end on you beating the shit out of me do i want to end on a good movie or beating the crap out of you you know i always feel like we end on mine so let's let's end on yours all right that sounds good yeah because it tell, will pay yeah. off next week though i will say it oh, will pay yeah. off next week oh it's gonna pay off this week too because let me tell you if yes if it will the, yeah because let me tell you um <laughs> Right now, I'm just I'm just slowly crushing up a bunch of glass that I've been saving. I'm getting out that super glue, just rolling my hands in it because it's coming. Oh yeah, I'm I am prepared for the Ian Rotten Axel Rotten Taipei death match that's going to happen at the end of this. Oh, oh, you don't even know. You don't even know. But you know, before we jump into it on a positive note, thank you for those gifts. That was so 
fleet of you. I've never heard of either of those movies. I think if you don't like Double Life of Veronique, you'll at least like the other one I got you. I mean, you usually at least put something in a movie that I can at least get something out of. I mean, yeah, even even there's a romp. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Even the ones that we're about to talk about. And why don't you take us (laughs) to your number 10? Right now, you sad disturbed. Oh no, it's your number ten. You start. Oh, that's right. I am. Why are you? Why am I starting? Well, then I guess we'll start with my number ten. And my number ten is a movie that Tyler has kind of mentioned in the preamble. And you know, I gotta say, I'm kind of glad we didn't even welcome them back or anything. (laughs) I feel like it's uh, something for us. Yeah. Well, at this point, I feel like it is, and it comes from nine. 1981. It's from one of Tyler's favorite filmmakers of all time, John Landis. It stars David Naughton, Griffin Dunn. It's about two guys backpacking through Europe who just won't fucking listen and stay on the moors. It's 1981's An American Werewolf in London. Can I have a piece of toast? Get the fuck out of here, Jack. Thanks a lot. I can't take this. Am I asleep now, awake or what? I realize I don't look so hot, David. But I thought you'd be glad to see me. David! You're hurting my feelings. Hurting your feelings? Has it occurred to you that it might be unsettling to see you rise from the grave to visit me? Sorry to be upsetting you, David. But I had to come. Aren't you supposed to be buried someplace in New York? Yeah. Your parents came to my funeral. I was surprised at how many people came. Why should you be surprised? You were a very well-liked person. Yeah, I was, wasn't I? Well, I liked you. Debbie Klein cried a lot. Oh, God, am I asleep now or what? So, so, you know what she does? She's so grief-stricken. She runs to find solace in Mark Levine's bed. Mark Levine? An asshole. Life mocks me even in death. I'm going completely crazy. David! What? Now, I'm really sorry to be upsetting you, but I have to warn you. Warn me? We were attacked by a werewolf. I'm not listening to this. On the moors, we were attacked by a lycanthrope, a werewolf. I was murdered, an unnatural death. And now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up. The wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. You gotta stay on the moors. I like, I don't know. It's literally like the one rule. (laughs) Let me ask you something. Listen to the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like listen to the locals. Yeah, exactly. That's the one rule of tourism. Tourism. (laughs) They literally went out and shot the thing out. I mean, it's kind of fucked up. They weren't trying to shoot it before, but. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, here's my first question about this movie, because I actually got to go watch this on a big screen for like five bucks. Here's my question to you. If you flip David Naughton and Griffin Dunn in their roles, is this movie like 20% better? No. (laughs) I mean, I get I think I think it's a definitely a different movie but i think Naughton has such a pathetic 
boyish like look to him in this movie that I think really carries the character. However, he is not nearly as good of an actor as Griffin Dunn. So um, I don't think he would have been as convincing as the decaying corpse following David around. I feel like a lot of that is makeup, though, and that would have helped cover that. I just don't think David Naughton's a very good actor. Like, I think he's kind of, like, pretty poor in this movie, and... I'll tell you, I sat down and I was the only guy in the theater. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then like 20 minutes in, I was like, fuck, this movie's slow. It's I actually like (laughs) I like the buildup. I think the buildup is uh, it's neat. Um, I like the pacing. I like the like the foggy British lowlands or English lowlands. Um, I think the movie really loses. Me is. Anytime it's trying to be a love story. I'm just like, I don't care. It's it's weird they choose to go that route with it, too. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I feel like he didn't know what he wanted to make here, if he wanted to make a comedy or, like, a horror movie. So, I mean, they, it's literally posted as both comedy and horror. Not one of the first, because, you know, you go all the way back to the, to the 30s and 40s with, like, Abbott and Costello meeting the Wolfman and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, so it's not like the first comedy horror, but I think it's the first like modern comedy horror, like the where the blending isn't campy, where it's like actually intended to be horror as well as comedy. I'm sure people can pull up examples from before this. I, you know, this is just what I think of as like the the, the starting point of that genre is where it goes today. I think it does a better job at the horror than it does the comedy. And that might just be because it's older than, you know, most movies. <laughs> I don't know. Not most movies. It's an older comedy, so the comedy doesn't land as well. But I think the... Some, some the, of it is just very off-base for today. Some of it is pretty bad, I would say. As is kind of typical of a John Landis movie. Not to Not to throw too much shade. If you've seen Kentucky Fried Movie, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I guess Kentucky Fried Movie could also be considered a comedy horror movie. <laughs> the horror is I like that that's the one you go after, like the one nobody's heard of. Like, you could have easily taken Animal House to task and people have been like, yeah, that movie doesn't hold up. But you're like, no, my beef is with Kentucky Fried Movie. It's not beef. I, I honestly enjoy Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, that's good. I would I never rewatch it. I would never rewatch it, though. <laughs> you know what that's I mean? Fair. Like, that's fair. That's fair. Same with Animal House. Blues Brothers, I think, is the only Landis movie I can actually watch and forget who, who, who made it. But, you know, that's beside the point. We're not talking about the man. We've already discussed him up front. I don't know. I think this movie... It, it gets... I, I do think this is, like, the beginning of the comedy horror as we know it today. You know, I think it like goes this movie, The Gate. I'm maybe I'm I'm missing a couple. Maybe Return of the Living Dead is somewhere in there, but um, movies like that really pack both. But I I think this movie is way more of a horror movie than it is a comedy movie. Oh yeah, because I don't think like, the comedy lands very well. Oh yeah, personally. no, it's definitely more of a horror movie. Like the scenes of like, I mean, well, we can we can just I don't really remember all. The- 
the all the little things we did. I know one was where did you first see it? And honestly, I couldn't tell you the first time I saw this. I think I just saw it one. I think I just rented it from Netflix one time, and that's where I first saw yeah. it. And I was gonna say you probably like me first saw it either because it's it just sort of existed in the ether. It was on TBS all the time. I'm assuming this was a Bravo's 101 yeah. scariest horror movie moments type yeah. thing. Yeah, it was. And that's actually, honestly, like at one point I just found myself playing Monopoly on my phone and watching this in the theater. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I'm being insanely disrespectful or if this movie's just not that good. And I should have put Videodrome at number 10. But at that point I had kind of made my decision and I was like, well, I'm already here. I'm going to watch it. And I'll say this, even though I don't think this movie is like in anywhere close to perfect or like maybe even should be on my number 10. And who knows, there might be something on your list tonight or who knows, maybe even next week that I would say, yeah, that's going to go on my list. That should go at my number 10. I will say this. It is unassailably maybe one of the best uses of makeup for a transformation scene ever done. You know, there's another werewolf movie that might have, should have maybe made both of our lists called the howling that has a that also has a very good transformation sequence and true i think it's transform i think the transformation sequence in this movie is undeniably a highlight i don't i forget if i rated i'm pretty sure i rated this on letterbox but um i forget exactly what i rated it but this might be the first time I think ever in the show, something that would be considered pretty much straight up a Ben movie was actually enjoyed more by me, the co-host Tyler than Ben. I think there are parts I like. It's just, I just, I think it's so fucking slow. And like, I really wish like, I really wish like they, I don't know. Like, I think it's also the fact that I've had like this real, like I wish Griffin Dunn had done more in his career. Because I kind of enjoy everything Griffin Dunn does. Like, I recently showed my mom After Hours because we were hanging out. My dad was out of town. And she's like, let's watch a movie. And I was like, okay. And I was like, go pick something from my Criterion collection. And she went over and she's like, what's After Hours? And I was like, let's do it. And we watched it. And he's just so good in that. I just wish he was in more of this and not, like, covered in makeup. Like, even though he's really good under the makeup. I don't know. It just, I don't know. This movie just... I don't know if I had to redo it. I might put I might take something from your list at the very end of this and say goodbye, American Werewolf in London. This is what's going at number 10. That's totally fine. I think it works pretty well as a mood piece. I don't think it's like particularly scary, but the scene of him like changing, I will say it does confuse me at one point pretty, pretty drastically when the Nazi zombies show up (laughs) because I'm just like what why (laughs) like are we equating the nazis to like an arcane ancient evil like uh like i was just kind of (laughs) confused so their presence but yeah other than that i thought the movie was pretty pretty good my logic was bad dream yeah i I think nazi zombies would qualify as a bad dream oh yeah 100 percent you just be like, you're just having a good dream, and then all of a sudden, boom, bam, like, not so much. Bada being bad one. Uh, yeah. If you're not sold on this as a full full movie, at least go just type type transformation scene into Google. It will save you. It will save you. I mean, 
that's the thing too. I will give it that. It is like 90 minutes. He didn't overly make a long movie. I was going to say I this this the 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 premise I don't think really it doesn't out, outstay its welcome, you know. It it gets in and gets out. I I do like the adult theater scene where all of the other um all of his other victims are like talking to him. I think that's cool. I do feel Edgar Wright pulled a lot of humor from that scene for like hot fuzz and stuff. Like the woman who's like still kind of like still jolly, even though she's been like ripped in shreds. Yeah. I wish the movie did more of that. If it did, if it had done more than that, I think I would have, I would have had a little bit more fun, but eh, I don't know. John Landis, bad person. I think, I thought this was a pretty good movie. Like, can you explain the whole Twilight Zone thing? Yeah. He essentially... Okay, so there's two two elements to the Twilight Zone thing. And if you do edit this, please, you don't have to leave us in. But the two elements to the Twilight Zone thing is he was hiring non-union, non-represented actors who were being exploited. And essentially, if you work... On a on a set, you're not allowed to use ch- child actors at night. Like that's a no no. But in order to get around that, he was paying the parents under the table. So it was shot in Vietnam, and it's unclear if the parents understood what was going to be happening completely, um, because they did not speak English fully. Um, they were speaking like some were speaking through a translator. There's like that's a whole issue. So you know that's a big thing. Um, you know, Vic Morrow, on the other hand, he can make his own choice. You know, it, that's it's mostly the kids. The kids didn't have a choice. They didn't have a say. They didn't agree to it. They're children. Um, and essentially, the problem was he was shooting off real life, like not like actual shells, but the fireworks and the tech, the, the tech explosives were getting so close to the helicopter that the helicopter pilot was saying, it is too close. It is, you're endangering me. And essentially John Landis was like, no, we're going to shoot it even closer. Like he basically when the, when the pilot came to him and was like, you're shooting them too close. That's dangerous. You're going to, cause an accident he said you haven't seen nothing yet like that's like the quote the pilot uses um and those were on like the test shots like he basically came up with like you have to shoot him further away from me like it's too close i can't see i can't maneuver and what ended up happening is he set off one like right above the rotor blade the rotor blade stopped working and the helicopter ended up landing on the three people and and killing them and so it was landis's decision he put them there. He essentially committed manslaughter because Hollywood is good at obfuscating details. He was able to not be punished um, and was able to settle in a civil case. You know what? Bad guy. Makes me kind of regret <laughs> that I own all of his movies now, but you know what? Onward and upward. A lot of people were involved <laughs> in those movies. That's going to be my life. Yeah. yeah. The, the here it is the the it wasn't just John Landis there was other people on the set that had um, who also yeah did horrible things there's an entire book um, about the incident 
that you can read that is all about all of the things that went into that moment. But um, wild. there's other things John Landis did after the, the, the crash that are also pretty despicable and morally reprehensible. But, you know, say la vie. Those are for another time. Interesting. Okay, well, I mean, to answer the last question, why is it on the list? The transformation scene. It's pretty incredible. I also think it is an important 80s movie. It is an important movie for 80s horror. It may not entirely live up to it, um, but for American mainstream 80s horror, it did kind of move the goalposts for, like, comedy and horror being, like, a thing. No, that's fair. I can respect that. Can't believe I'm the one that's giving giving this movie kudos. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> strange. Strange how we gotten here. What a what a long strange journey it's been. I'm just as surprised as you are. Well, I guess that moves us on to your number ten, doesn't it? Yes, my number ten is a 1983 Austrian horror movie directed by one and done director Gregold Kargl. Co-wrote the screenplay with a cinematographer and editor. Oh boy, Zibnu Ribzinski. If I pronounce that wrong, let me know. I would I would love to know actually how to pronounce that name. And it follows a psychopath. Uh, yeah, it's the 1983 film Angst. etwas blöd vorgekommen, so wie ich angezogen war. Aber nach zehn Jahren Knast kann man nicht modern gekleidet sein. Sie haben mich angestarrt. Ich war gleich voll da. Richtig provoziert haben sie mich. Meine Fantasie ist gleich mit mir abgefahren. herankommen kann. Mich hat das wahnsinnig aufgeregt. Ich habe mir sofort die tollsten Sachen vorgestellt. Aber im Espresso wäre das zu auffällig gewesen. Man hätte sofort alles gehört. Das war keine günstige Gelegenheit. Bad time. I didn't know what like i'm so glad she went into the other room because i think this movie <laughs> would have like would have like just like caused her to feel very bad the entire time mm -hmm. and i remember just sitting there and i remember just kind of like looking at kind of just like at one point like i just like i kind of needed to, i paused it like twice but i just like at one point was like i need 
to stop watching this movie. Like I, I need, I need to either like go do something. And then like, like, I was like, no, no, you need to finish it. You need to watch it because if you don't like, you're not going to have anything to talk about it. And I will say this when it hits the final, like, I want to say like the final sequence, I actually was genuinely like pleased by how well they handled the ending of that movie. Mm -hmm. This is not about me. I want to ask you, where did you find this and when did you first come across this? So the first time I came across it was the year 2014. This little app just started, just launched actually a few weeks prior called Shudder and had been hyped up. And it's like, oh, it's like the, it's like Netflix for horror movies. I'm not entirely sure if it earns its reputation, you know, like almost a whole decade on from when it launched. But I've been, a, I signed up like the first day it, it went live. And I, I was spent weeks like scrolling through everything they had, just trying to figure out like, well, what am I going to watch first? And they had this movie I never heard of, never, ever heard of, which as a horror fan, someone growing up, like just, you know, watching the bravo list like tracking down all these horror movies watching more obscure obscure things something i'd like never heard of and was like called like the scariest movie of all time by people on the website that's intriguing to me and so i watched it once all straight all the way through i was like sleep deprived and i it went just straight on through my head and i was like what is this like it felt like i had opened up the ark of the covenant and had unleashed this like ancient arcane evil into my eyeballs it's a movie so viscerally unpleasant to watch that you just feel evil radiating from it ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna give you the best description of this i can and hopefully this will help you all decide whether you do or do not want to watch this movie (laughs) This makes Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer look like a really fun time. (laughs) Because what I will say about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, it gives you, like, a reason for why things are happening. (laughs) This one is just, like, things are happening. It's just, it's bad stuff through and through. Like, it never gives you any real reason or motivation from the person other than, like, the last couple of minutes. And even then, that's, like, kind of tacked on. The, Honestly, like I think that's time. what makes it worse. I think that's what makes it scarier is the fact that there is yeah. no reason. Like, this becomes The Strangers because you were home. Like, there's a couple movies that kind of use that, like, because you're home logic. I think this movie, Strangers, the 2006 movie, them, which is, I was going to pair with The Strangers at one point, but thought it would be so this really upsetting to talk about both of those movies that I've never done that. So instead, I'm talking about this movie, uh, which is loosely based on a real life mass murder murderer. But the movie, I think, doesn't even really glamorize or even give you any insight into what the murderer is thinking. He's just doing things. It's just like he is propelled forward. And the way that the movie is shot and edited and the sound of the movie, it just it you just feel like you're shot out of a cannon. And that you're just like following this person. You have no say in what happens. You don't know why he's doing it. I don't think he knows why he's doing it. You don't get any interior thoughts or motivation or anything like that. 
it is like almost entirely it's like almost pure cinema it's just like image sound and like that's it and i think because of that i I, the first time i watched it i like finished it was like what the fuck was that watched it again because i was like i there has to be an answer in this somewhere and there wasn't that's what i loved about it there isn't he just goes wrong he's just deeply unwell like yeah. There is no, and actually, I'll say this: the camera work is incredible in this movie. You'll you'll have these long, long takes that just like, like five to five minute long, like camera high above, or it'll like swing down, or it'll be like on a dolly, or it's like a steady cam on his face, and you'll have these like super long takes, and it's just the the movie is so electric. And the, the movie's filmmaking is so alive that it you it forces you to pay attention. And then in forcing you to pay attention, you are forcing like it is forcing you to witness these like truly horrendous acts. Yeah, it's a great movie. It I put it at 10 because I didn't really want to take a lot of time on it because it is a movie that viscerally upsets me to think about. <laughs> it's great. Erin Later, who's the who plays Kay the psychopath is uh, he looks weird and he's good at what he's doing which is being insanely off-putting yeah yeah Um, boy how boy howdy is he he's like if you sucked all the charisma out of patrick bateman yeah yeah he's just this like little gnome of a man he was known even at that point for being in uh das boot yeah, he's in an Underworld movie. He's got a face on him. That's really all I can say. He does. What is your favorite scene? Uh, I was going to say the opening, and then I asked if you, which like which cut you had seen. Uh, whatever is on Mubi. Uh, it might be the, 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 the director's cut, which I think just trims the movie and makes it a little bit... Oh, man, now I gotta look this up. Hold on. Nope. Theatrical cut. Okay. So uh, the opening scene where he, where you like, it like cuts and it's like his face and he's like walking down the street and you hear the footsteps and and it like it does not ease you into the world at all. And he just like rings the doorbell and just like murders two people, and then it cuts to like the prison. Like that, I think, is one of the worst ways I've ever seen a film start, but yet. Its start is so incredibly affecting that you're just like, okay, all right, I guess I'm here. <laughs> I guess I mean, I'm watching this movie. At, throughout most of the movie, there was part of me that was like, is this all bullshit and this is in his head? And then, like, you get to the finale and I'm like, no, no, it's not. This was all real, unfortunately. When you get to the part where he he spends, like, a full three minutes trying to, like, 45-point turn a car out of the driveway, that's when you're like, no, I think this is all real. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's 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 very very true. <laughs> like, Speaking of which, I went on to movie to try to find you a runtime. Um, I'm just saying right now, I think he's at a real vulnerable point in his career. Uh, the guy from Passages, we should try to get him to remake this movie. <laughs> and I don't mean the director Iris Sachs. I mean, I mean the guy. No, Franz Rogowski. Yes. Yeah, yes. Franz Rogowski. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, although Iris X remaking this movie with Franz Rogowski would be pretty funny in a lot of ways. It would be a very different movie. Yeah, it would be. Um... You and I just every day would come to set and go, can you believe they're still doing it? And he goes, I know, it's crazy. 
I don't think anybody should remake this one. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, this one is perfect. So, as is. Yeah, it's it's a movie that I don't think you could make today because people would be like, well, you have to cut this and this. You go, no, you can't cut any of this. Like, that's the point. Like, the point is that this yeah. movie is almost unflinching. It, it is unflinching, I would yeah. say. It's, yeah. it's, it's a very upsetting mood piece. Um, and the mood is just fully black. And that's my number 10. And just to ask, too, why is it on the list? It's probably the most affecting horror movie on my list. Yeah, well, I haven't seen five to one, so I'm not 100 percent sure. But uh, for okay. now, most uh, for now, on this for now, list. no, no, for now, I will give you that. I mean, I don't know if anything unseats this in terms of a movie where I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I feel I feel so drained. Like, I think we went. You know what? Actually, thank God for Letterbox. Letterbox, please sponsor us. You don't even have to give us money. I just want to be able to save Letterbox. They sponsor us because they brought uh, me yeah, so much joy. Give me a prayer account. Just give me a prayer account. Yeah, that's all you got to do for him. Let's see. Where is angst? I remember just like after it, I was just like, I need I need to watch like a comedy or something. And I can't even remember <laughs> what we watched, but I remember just putting on like, I think the dumbest, most brainless comedy. And I was like, oh, this is better. This is, this is a lot better. You need to set up like a walk afterwards or sort of sleep study program just, just oh. get out of the house for a little bit i put on wonder boys i put on a movie that i knew would just make me happy oh hey, that's wonder boys huh i i really enjoy wonder boys the curtis hansen film yeah yeah all right that's just a very funny movie now yeah, i take it you're not a fan didn't say it wasn't oh okay well i don't know just to do your yeah. tone. It's it's <sighs> you know it's been a minute since I've seen it. Yeah, it's Curtis Hansen, so he's it's it's kind of yeah. Got some movies. Oh, he does for sure, and some that don't. Ugh. Speaking of movies, speaking of a movie that sometimes does and sometimes doesn't, that leads us perfectly into my number nine. Oh boy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I just want to let you know, in the eighties. Things were different, and sometimes you could make movies about subject matter that today would definitely get you thrown off of a plane into a valley full of knives. And let's be honest, Robert Hilzik would have been thrown off that plane into a valley full of knives because the movie that he wrote and directed and financed himself and then dedicated to his mom in the opening five seconds of the movie is a movie about two kids, Angela and Ricky, who are sent off to camp and... Unfortunately, things are going bad at that camp. And this is the 1981 movie, Sleepaway Camp. Come on, Ricky, babe. Save me my up. Hey, big man! You and your boys want to play some little wager while the game is still close? What do you have in mind, asswipe? Buck a man, asshole! That's a little steep. Make it five. You got it! Make yourself useful and bring me home, huh? Little shit will be lucky to make content. No bad. Should have brought my rabbit's foot. 
to let Tyler do his impression of the mother. Ricky Angela. <laughs> I was doing that voice today, but like the whole character I built around it was I was on the couch while she was like making breakfast and I said, "The thing about me is I'm wearing a blanket, so you don't know what I'm wearing under this blanket. I could be fully clothed, I could have nothing on." And she's like, "I hate this character. What is it?" And I was like, "I don't know." I like it though and over the course of the day I've come to realize it's just the voice of the mom from Sleepaway Camp pretending like she's wearing something under a blanket but you don't know yeah yeah it's a weird movie Sleepaway Camp oh indeed indeed it is there is a 40 year old woman pretending to be a child in this movie there's that's that is that's one of them that's that's yeah Um, that's one of the that's one of the weird things about it. Uh, there's uh, just let's just we're, okay. I have a I have a, a story of where where I first heard about this, but I want to know where you first heard about it. So, and I I think I actually invoked this show a couple minutes ago. There is a sketch in Robot Chicken where. It is a bunch of movies where the endings are twists and spoiled. And I think it's like the usual suspects, the sixth sense, something else. And then it just hard cuts to the word sleepaway camp. And you just hear the sentence. And I don't care. I'm going to spoil this because, guys, if you haven't seen sleepaway camp, go fuck yourselves. You should have seen it by now. Oh, my God. Angela's the killer. And she was really a boy. Oh, my God. Somebody remembered this movie and then it just cuts away so that's where i first heard uh, sleep away camp i think the other movie one of the other movies was the crying game i think there were there there was you ever seen yeah. the crying game ben oh i oh i've seen okay. the crying game i saw the crying game way too early yeah it's a good movie minus the final few minutes anyway here's the thing about sleep Boy camp mm-hmm. at the time it came out one thousand percent it was homophobic and transphobic and i i won't hear any other stories about it i think why i like it 
and why fellow people of my generation like it is it's kind of been completely reclaimed by the queer community as this like angel's kind of a boss like angel kind of rules <laughs> oh no she does like every like, this time movie someone fucks with her it's like, like that ain't going well for you bitch like no you were... like this movie is transphobic i don't want to i'm not going to mince words about it like the presentation of angela the way the movie ends it's transphobic it's bad however angela rules angela is a boss i love the whole sleepaway camp series i love this movie i don't care who who hears about it it's twist ending is stupid (laughs) and it it used to garner shock, and I think now it garners, like, jokes, and I let trans women talk about this movie, and there's a couple of trans women that have written very eloquently, and if you want to read their writing, you should. I would point out Willow McMacklay as, as one of them, and well, maybe I'll send some to, to Ben to put in the show notes. Sure. Like, I don't know what it is. I think it's also the fact that, like, a lot of the movies, and I, I, I'll i say this, your list definitely made me realize this. In the 80s, you could just make a movie. Like, if you had just enough funds, you could make a movie. And Sleepaway Camp yeah. is the first, like, real, I feel like, example of that. Well, naturally, Angst is the first real example of that, because Angst feels like it might have been shot for, like, I don't know, some some German chocolates and, like, a handshake. If for like three thousand bucks in a hamburger, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some of those pork sausages that he eats in that movie. <laughs> you see, yeah, so those were actually currency of the movie. It's a regional horror. It was shot for uh, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is not a lot. I don't, I don't know if you, if you guys don't know what currency is. That's not a huge amount. It's was shot up in upstate New York and it was very clearly shot in the off season of the camp because it looks very cold and the leaves are turning. <laughs> and maybe we should get into like some of the plot. Um, I mean, the plot of the movie is that like Angela and Ricky are cousins who are sent to sleepaway camp by Angela's batshit crazy mother and Angela's like super quiet, doesn't say a lot. And Ricky's like been there before. And like, let's just be honest, you could also just be nakedly cruel to children in the eighties, and nobody seemed to blink. Like it was, it was totally oh, fine. Like it, this movie is fucking bonkers. Yeah, no, the children in this movie, they eat shit. They get called horrible names. They're cruel to one another. They well, one, are, of, they one of them is a 40-year-old woman jam- masquerading as a child. Well, that's let's be true. fair. That's yeah. true. She should get dunked on. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. I think I know which character it is. I I forget which one of them it is. That's how let's many of a, them look. Yeah. She has her name on her shirt. Let's let's put it that way. Okay, you're right. <laughs> um, this movie has everything it's got a homophobic beginning it has pederast chefs it has uh one kid uh saying fuck off and or eat shit and live (laughs) that's the comeback which i love which is the guy goes eat shit and die ricky he goes eat shit and live troy and i was just like that's a great comeback i'm gonna use that comeback on someone 
And it also has some of the cruelest slasher deaths I've ever seen. But here's the thing, though. In most horror movies, like, let's just take this and compare it to the first Friday the 13th. None of those kids really deserve to get it in Friday the 13th. Every person who gets it in this, you're like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. This is when I think the right around this movie is when the slasher starts to turn in the in the direction of the people who are dying kind of deserve to die. Because like Halloween, Friday the 13th, even Nightmare on Elm Street, like the kids are like pretty likable for the most part. Um, this is, I think, one of the first slashers where you're like, man, all, everybody in this movie, <laughs> not everybody, obviously, but like most of the people in this movie suck. Um, I mean, so I watched this with Brianna. Brianna and I sat down because we were doing, I don't think this actually, I think this was in September because I was trying to prep for this. But she was like, well, what's it about? I said, I said, I can't really tell you because the ending, if you don't, because she didn't know the ending, which is crazy. But I mean, she's also not into like cinema in the same sense that we are. Now, granted, she also probably supported maybe what's going to be the biggest movie of the year this weekend. So who's to say? Taylor Swift, the heiress to her. Oh, God bless. Okay. Yeah, I mean, believe me, I don't get it either. But she said it was great, and I'm like, hey, I'm happy for you. She loves that that song, or she loves that singer. I was like, good for her. So, Angela and Ricky are at camp, and just people keep fucking with Angela. Like, that's the thing. Like, nobody gets murdered if they don't fuck with Angela. And they all get murdered pretty roughly. There's the kid that gets the bees thrown on them. There's the the, the worst one, which I don't even. I'm not even going to bring it up. It's pretty bad. Yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them eat it. And some of the kids look like kids, and some of the kids look like adults. And then you have some of the adults are dressed like in just really inappropriate manner. You got that one guy who I think is Ronnie. Yeah, who is wearing like a three inch seam short short pants like apparently those were actors owned by the way i bro i, I feel <laughs> i feel a lot of this movie was was basically them being like bring your own clothes uh whatever it 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 feels like a john waters movie that maybe got away from everybody like John Waters, like John Waters shows up on set with like a hunting rifle. He goes, I'm sorry, one of my scripts got out and I have to put it down. It's rabid. And he goes, oh, crap, it's already here. I mean, you go go through the questions. I mean, we kind of did the where we did what it's about. You tell me again where you first saw it. Like I said, I, I remember that sketch on Robot Chicken. Oh, and then right. I, I tracked right. it down through like various means. And I want to say, like, I maybe watched it at, like, a friend's house, and everyone else was deeply put off to it. But I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I first saw it probably too young. I was in sixth grade. It was where I first saw Return of the Living Dead. And then I saw this movie on the same channel called Monsters HD, uh, where I watched a lot of weird old monster movies, including Horror at Party Beach, the non-MST3K version. This, The Day the Earth Stood Still played on it. Uh, Return of the Living Dead played on it. Night of the Living Dead, obviously. Horror A Go-Go also played on it. Anyway, it played a lot of stuff, and that's where I, f- I found this. It's set at a sleepaway camp. Ben, did you ever go to a sleepaway camp? I did. I went to Bible sleepaway camp. Oh, no. Well, we'll gloss yeah, into no. that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was perfectly fine. I'm... <laughs> 
I did not care for the religious aspect of it, but what do you call it? I didn't care for the religious aspect of it, but I was like, whatever. I get to hang out with buddies of mine. This is fine. Okay, good. Um, it yeah, takes place upstate New York, uh, sleepaway camp. Um, you have this girl named Angela Baker who survived a boat accident when she was young with her <laughs> yeah. gay dad. That's important. That's also just so homophobic. Um, anyway, I I always forget the opening of this movie until until I watch it and I'm like, right, <laughs> gay dad oh, yeah. on vacation and the kid dies. <laughs> like I always forget that. They get sent to camp, and then, yeah, kids start dying one by one. Is that a pretty good summary? Yeah, and that pedophile chef who fucking earned it. Yeah, pederast. Um, yeah. He gets, he gets fucking hot liquid soup poured on him. It's awful. When that happens, she goes, okay, I don't care what happens the rest of this movie. She goes, the one person who deserved it got it. I said, oh, f- more people are going to get it, and they're going to deserve it. I said, promise you. And she goes, yeah, I don't like Judy that much. And I said, oh, believe me, that one's coming. Oh. When I watched it with my wife, um, that death was so rough that we both, because I had forgotten, yeah. I had forgotten exactly what happened. We both went, oh, no. <laughs> I want to single out really quickly before I ask you why it deserves to be on your list that this is the last performance of a great character actor, Mike Kellen, who longtime actor is in a ton of stuff. Um, not sure if we've ever done a movie he was in, but um, he was in, you know, movies like Next Stop, Greenwich Village, and and Girlfriends, and the and Boston Strangler, stuff like that. Um, he towards the end of his career kind of made a pivot towards like comedy and um, horror movies. Cause he's in just before Don um, and this movie and it's his final role. And he plays a hell of a hell of a has hell of a character performance as the camp counselor who is like one day away from retirement. <laughs> the oh, entire he time. owns the camp. He owns the camp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he shakes the sh- shit out of Ricky at one point. He he plays that character like a cop, a, a one day away, you know, like one, like just a loose cannon on the edge, just one day away from retirement. I know I was here, Ricky. I know I was. Here. He's like shaking Ricky so much, it's almost funny. It, it's not, but it's it's great. almost funny. Oh, it's great. He is quite good in it, though. It also has James Earl Jones's father in it too. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird one. Pro- professional boxer, part of the Harlem Renaissance, was a prominent. A uh, black actor on on both on stage and in movies would go wonder, on to be in Witness after this. Weird, also weird the, seeing him here. Yeah, I mean, previously before this, he was in The Sting, one of the great movies of the seventies. Yeah, he's he's Wild River, another great movie he's in. Not credited, but he's in it. Cockfighter, the Monty Hellman movie. Trading yeah, movie places, you've talked you about. Talk about the other guy. Yeah, Cockfighter is a fucking fantastic movie. You know, though, to round it around to it, because I think we've spent way more time on Sleepaway Camp than I honestly thought we were going to. Um, I honestly think it deserves to be on the list because, like you said, it's kind of been reclaimed. And it's got this reputation now of, like, it's kind of one of those movies where it's like, you can't really take it away from them now. Like, it's their movie now. And 
I'm proud of them for like taking this movie and not trying to shut it down, but also being like, no, fuck it. This is ours. Like we've, we've got this movie and I'll say it too. It's kind of just a great little 90 minutes of insanity. Like it proves mm-hmm. if in the eighties you had enough money, you could make whatever the fuck you wanted and people would distribute it. For better or worse. Yes. You could make whatever you wanted. Nothing more exemplifies that than the next movie. But yes, I will say if anybody comes in and if, like, if anybody's like, Hey, transphobics like this movie i'm like sure yeah no it's a transphobic movie you're right like i'm not gonna argue that it's not your your thought is that the next movie exemplifies the that the, if you had enough next, money you could just make a movie yes the next movie more than exemplifies if you had enough money you can make a movie yeah what, it, what is that movie that movie is of course the 1982 british I'm keeping the international theme going, and I think I will almost entirely through my entire list up until the last one. The British sci-fi horror film, uh, written and directed by Harry Bromley Davenport, most British name of all time, um, and it focuses on a man who was abducted by aliens, returns back to his wife and kids, uh, wife and son, three years later. That is, of course, the 1982 Extra. Mr. Knight, it's Mrs. Phillips here from number six. I wonder if you'd go and check out my apartment for me. Tony and Elise are there on their own, and I can't get through. Delighted to help. You leave it to me, Mrs. Phillips. No problem. Thanks. It'll be a pleasure. Bye. Bitch. Tell you what, this movie's a little extra. <laughs> no, no, don't you boo me. I had to sit through this this morning. <laughs> you had to Three sit through this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wasn't wild about this one. It's not, it's not the most annoying thing on your list, but it might be taken second place. Really? I, I did not. I did not get into this movie. I appreciate the effects in it. I think it is probably one of the strongest things that you can point to in terms of like, Hey, if you know how to do special effects and you don't need CGI fucking go that route. Cause it works. Let me, let me tell you story this. The just did for, this movie, for me. It's a weird story. Um, it's a weird story. The, the budget of this movie was $60,000. Um, yeah. So it's like a third of a third of the budget. Um, <laughs> of Sleepaway Camp and I'm just going to really quickly read you part of the TV Guide review which is not not a contemporary review this is a respect, retrospective review so this is recent reward of the film 0 out of 4 stars calling the film a vile excuse in grotesque special effects and an excuse to parade all manner of perversities across the screen further stating that not only is this disgusting, it lacks anything that remotely resembles suspense. All movie called it pure trash. People think that this was made to capitalize on E.T., which would make sense because it's the same exact, well, not the same exact plot as E.T., very similar plot to E.T. I say they're stupid because it couldn't have been made in the amount of time to capitalize off of E.T. because E.T. came out that summer and this came out in the winter. Anyway, this movie is about a man who gets abducted by an alien 
and then comes back and is weird. Capitalizing on E.T.? People say that because it came out the same year as E.T., but this movie was filmed before E.T. had come out. So unless he, the man who made it has like extra sense, like ESP and knew it was coming. And then also said, what can I do to make sure it doesn't make the money that E.T. does? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This movie is gross. It's an understatement. <laughs> it's a mean little movie that's gross and weird and about a kid that is half human, half alien. So wait, is the dad full alien? No. Okay. All right, hold on. So Sam Phillips gets abducted and then three years later returns as like a half human, half alien creature, right? Or there, there's like a seed. Essentially, that thing comes back and is murdered. It's a, this movie is really weird. But what you need to know is it is also a metaphor for divorce, much like E.T. is. Uh, sure, but that kid was already there. How does that work? Because um, the dad left. No, but I mean, like, how can the, the dad, kid be party? Like, how can the kid be part alien if when he left? No, 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 no. The kid's not part alien. The 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 thing that's walking around is part half human. Oh, half okay. Sorry. Gotcha. Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was like, that doesn't make the, any the sense. Kid, but neither does this movie. So whatever. The kid Tony is anyway. The creature is like planted. And comes back and, like, attempts to impregnate a woman. It's very upsetting and then dissolves in some amazing effects work. I'm not going to say that the movie isn't extremely problematic or isn't weird. It's just, it's just so fucking insane and commits to its own insanity to the point to where, like, it, you kind of got to respect it. I mean, I don't have to respect it, but I will say this. I respect some of the stuff that they do in the movie. Overall, the movie does not work for me. I, I won't I won't relent on that. I don't think the movie actually works. But like there are a couple sequences, especially involving like that creepy little clown and that toy soldier man, where I'm just like, wow, this is actually really well done. Like, I mean, who is the woman that lives with them? Is that just the nanny? The au pair, the French au pair. Um, okay, that is what she is. Okay, because she is just there to get her tits out and then get killed. Because I was like, what is your purpose in this movie? Pretty much, she's in The Living Daylights. Is she really? Yeah, she is. I believe she plays not the Bond girl, but a Bond girl in it. No, she plays, uh, she plays the love interest in it. Well, good for her. This yeah. is a step down from that. It was her first acting appearance. I mean, fair, fair. Nobody's bad in this or anything, too. And it's like, it sucks to say, like, I'm kind of sad, like, that maybe there wasn't more explanation on this. Now, granted, this has two sequels. I have seen Extra 3 Watch the Skies, uh, or at the very least have seen part of it before falling asleep. It is also directed by the guy who directed the first one. He did I've all three. He did all three. The second one does not have an HD copy. It does star Jan Michael Vincent. So if anybody out there can get that to me, would love to watch it. 
There's a Rick and Morty joke about Jan Michael Vincent. One of the extra uh, galaxy movie things. Oh yeah, they're they're yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, so you saw this on the movie cha- the monster Jan Michael channel. Is- no, this one I just uh, randomly just caught on yeah. Sort of ended up in my possession, and I thought it had a cool name, and I thought the poster was cool. Although the poster sells a different movie, which is annoying. Yeah, that little monster's not in it at all, almost. In it at all. And my favorite scene, I think, similar to yours, is uh, that in the middle it gets really surreal, and it's like, and you have like this clown and toy soldier and. It gets it gets really weird. Um, it also has like a really goopy, strange beginning. The whole movie's just weird. I don't disagree. It is very weird, and I don't know. It just I think it. I appreciate the effects. I just don't think it landed for me on on the other aspect of it. It's fair enough. It's a yeah. It's a weird little gremlinly little movie. It is a gremlinly little movie. What's your favorite scene? here um i think i'll go with the the toy soldier scenes i think the the opening always makes me feel really weird and like horrified and then the end i'm just kind of like huh that's fair i get that toy soldier scene is really good because i don't know that dude has his movements down he does and uh why is it on your list I don't, if you if you haven't noticed, I've been trying. I was trying to give movies that are maybe less discussed from this time period. Um, I shot The Shine a little bit, and that'll be very evident when we get through the the back half of this list. But th- this movie's, you know, I watched it like probably almost a decade ago, and it's stuck with me. And I think that's a movie I think about a lot. I don't know. I think it deserves some eyes. It is certainly a movie that is not for everybody. That is very true. As is the ball of the movies on my list. I could say there's one or two that maybe not for everybody. I think there's the next one on this half. I was going to say the, the, on this half of the list, the next one is I think it's the crowd pleaser. You think so? I think so. Weird, huh? I would think it would be the one below it but there you go oh no no well on my list or your list? oh on your list on your list yeah on my list well let's i guess move on to the next one on mine and the next one on mine is a movie that i probably never would have seen well until you would have turned me on to it that comes from a guy who we have spent a lot of time talking about because we interviewed a gentleman about him uh for the movie king cohen and that's Mr. Larry Cohen. And this is a movie that stars David Carradine, Michael Moriarty, uh, Richard Roundtree. And it's about two New York detectives trying to find and connect these bizarre ritual killings to a bunch of other killings that are happening on high rooftops. And the only person who can help lead them to the answer is a small-time little thug named Jimmy Quinn. This is, of course, the movie from 1982, Q. The Winged Serpent. Oh, hello again, you little creep. Here again today. How many times can you wash that same dumb window? All right, my girlfriend, I love you. 
No, only in black. I can give it to you if I call the factory. Guess who's on my ledge again? That little jerk. I know you love me. I know you love me. Oh, that driving me crazy with that squeaking. Yeah. I'll check with the factory and get back to you. <laughs> I wish you'd take a walk. I haven't looked is up in the parapets. Won't be much left of it. You ever drop a cantaloupe from 40 stories? Yeah. All right, so what the hell do you make out of this? Well, I figure something fell out of one of the windows on the floor up above and hit him. Sheared his head clean off. That'd be a big char of glass or something like that. There are no broken windows up there. Oh, shit. Maybe his head just got loose and fell off. But what do you want from me? What a picture. I love this movie. It's so fun. I think if this movie didn't get, like, a bungled release through United Film, I think it would have done really well. Did this get bungled? It got, like, a limited release, and then just kind of got shuffled off into onto VHS. Interesting. I'm guessing the first time you heard about this was when you were doing your Cohen deep dive. It was. Uh, back in 2020, when everything was falling apart and you and I were doing uh, podcasts uh, from my garage, and I think from where you still are now, I had to bang through a yep. bunch of Larry Cohen movies, and this is one of the ones that really... This and The Stuff, I think, are the two that really caught my interest. I think I watched that and the stuff back to back because, like, I don't think you had actually given me any sort of, like, roadmap on, on what I should, on what I should, like, how I should watch them. But I remember just sitting through Q and I remember being like, fuck, if I was 12 years old and I found this movie, this would be, like, my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, it's like a perfect little movie in that regard. As an as an adult, I can like appreciate the nuances in the writing, but as a kid, this movie would have been like fucking Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like I would have just been like, how do they do that? Like it would have just been the mere fact too that you don't ever fucking see the monster for most of it. No, and when you do, it kind of sucks, but it it's great in its own <laughs> way. Oh, it doesn't kind of suck. It sucks. <laughs> like you're just like that yeah, is so silly, but. They've built up such goodwill throughout the movie. At that point, you're like, no, I don't really mind. It's fine. It's I, cool, but I like Larry. the Harryhausen stuff. I think the Harryhausen yeah. stuff is fun. Yes, as much as I love Michael Moriarty's turn as David Moe Rutherford in the stuff, this is maybe my favorite performance he gives in as Quinn in Cue the Winged Serpent because, like, he's so deeply unlikable. And like, but also like unlikable in like a real pathetic way. Term like petty hustler is gets I guess it gets bandied around a lot today, but this guy is the pettiest of hustlers. Very much so. He's a uh, I'll give you give me a dime for a dollar type hustler. Well, and he's just like he's such a pathetic human being. Like you're like. 
Oh, man. To quote Billy Zane, you're not worth the flesh you're printed on. Like, you're kind of yeah. just a scumbag. It's just a scumbag. And that was kind of Moriarty's shtick for a while. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, up until... 86 and troll he starts to become like a dad character but yeah in the early 70s he's all over those like kind of scuzzy outsider characters maybe i'm wrong i don't know enough about him i just know that he was like cohen's guy for a little bit like him and cohen like worked yeah, well for... together because what what do they do how many pictures they do th- a few um they do this the stuff and it's alive three and i think he's also i don't know if he's the lead in uh return to salem's lot but i think that's the end of their little run yes he is in return to salem's lot that's right i remember him there too yeah he's he's got just i don't know he's just got a real presence to him and also like he's a guy who like can play both big and small Mm -hmm. i think he works better as the as the kind of like small little little weaselly guy in this movie oh yeah does he ever yeah what's it about well like i said these two detectives who are played by richard roundtree and david carradine maybe the most 70s duo of all time are on the hunt for these cases they're finding these ritualistic killings where people are being like skinned and killed and at the same time, there are a bunch of killings where, like, people on rooftops are, like, being, like, almost look like they're attacked by an animal. But it makes no sense because there are these high-rise New York rooftops. It's like, how the fuck is an animal getting up there? It's got to be, like, something like a bird or something even. But it makes no sense because a bird of that size would be seen. And the coinciding case with that is Michael Moriarty's character, Jimmy Quinn, is this small-time hustler who happens to come across, like, the nest of the bird that is actually doing this and like he starts to like use it to get rid of guys who are fucking with him while at the same time too he uses it to like kind of make a deal with the city being like you're gonna give me a shit ton of money if i tell you where this bird is like you're running out of time this thing is fucking picking off new yorkers and y'all need to like like use my resources it's just such a good premise it sucks that this movie wasn't didn't make a you know a ton of money at the box office because I feel like it should have. I just don't think people were ready for American kaiju movie. <laughs> it's really what it is, isn't it? It is American kaiju. Yeah. What's your favorite scene? It might be the scene where they're cutting the deal with with uh, Jimmy Quinn, like that scene where he kind of like has the moment where he's like he basically kind of tells them all off and he goes no. He goes, my whole life I've been kicked around by people like you. He goes, cops like you have planted fucking evidence on me. He's like, we're not doing this anymore. He goes, you're all going to kiss my ass now. It's my turn to be in the in the sun. I don't know. He just gives like, because he, he's been kind of a schmuck the whole movie, but he finally gets that one little moment and he fucking botches it too. Even though I got to say, if they would have listened to him, I think they would have gotten the bird before. They would have. You took what I was going to say, so I'll also point to that as the my favorite scene not that i have to give a favorite scene but yeah you know i know i'm you're gonna answer why this movie should be on the list but i i'm just gonna put this out i don't think there's anybody that exemplifies american independent 
movie filmmaking, especially of the 70s and 80s, more than Larry Cohen. I'm sure there's a few, but Cohen really did lay the groundwork for a lot of very interesting genre formula stuff in the 80s. And I think without him, the the arc of the horror film looks very different. It's one of those things where, like, I've seen... I think I've seen almost every Larry Cohen movie. I'm I'm very I'm very close to having seen almost every Larry Cohen directed movie. Now I'm sure there's someone some bought you one over here. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. It was very nice of you. I think you bought me two. I think so. Because what are the two you? Because Perfect Strangers. I, I got you Perfect Strangers. I might have slipped you a copy, an HD copy of like Wicked Stepmother or something. I think you did. I think you did. That is so not a movie that you short. can that that you can. That is not a movie that is very easy to come across. Um, you know, and some say rightly so, but you know, I will disagree. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, God, even the poster for Q is better than anything in the movie in terms of special effects. You know, you get what you get. It's a Harryhausen type stop motion not done by harry Housen. it looks weird i think this movie fucking rules i think it would have made a lot of money if they'd actually gone for it it sucks that 1982 cohen had to face both the indignity of bombing with q and bombing with the the really bad and kind of ripped away from him uh movie i the jury win some lose some he was a dude who kept going, though. Like, it didn't matter how many, like, you remember, you know that scene in South Park where Randy gets up and he goes, he goes, I didn't hear no bell. That is Cohen with his movie making. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, they could be like, hey, Larry, Q made $4 and um, tickets actually are $5. And be like, whatever, on to the next one. Like, that dude never felt like he got down on himself. He, I mean, he followed it up with special effects, which is a very weird movie that I love a lot. So, you know. Couldn't keep the man down. <laughs> no, you couldn't. I love that about him. The dude had like that that documentary by Steve Mitchell, who we spoke to, and go back and listen to that episode. It's one of our better ones. He truly kind of proves in that movie that like Larry Cohen loved making movies. Like you can say what you want. Like other people like make movies because they're good at it. I think some people make movies because it's a profitable industry. Larry Cohen genuinely, I think, enjoyed making movies. I think he enjoyed he enjoyed directing, and I just think he was compelled to make movies. Thank God for him, because he's just so good. Indeed, he is. I gave a good. Why is it on this list? So, but I'll ask you, Benjamin. Why is why is this on your list? For all the reasons you said, and also too, it's just like it's a movie that has like I don't care if a movie is kind of bad in terms of like maybe like special effects don't hold up. Maybe there are some things that just don't play. Like, nowadays, I don't even mean politically and stuff like that. I mean, it just doesn't work as well. If your movie has spirit, your movie can overcome those things. It's kind of the same way where if you look at wrestling, where, like, if there's a weird enough guy, but he's got the right charisma, you can get over as that guy. Like, that's that's what Larry Cohen is. He's got enough charisma to be like... And also, too, he's kind of the king of, like, the one-sentence premise before Shyamalan was. Like, Q is a very simple thing. What if Giant Bird attacks New York? It's like, fuck it, okay, I'm in. What if ice cream turn you to liquid? Uh, fuck right. I mean, you're at least going to sit down for the first 20 minutes. God, that stuff is so least, good. Yes. I'm so glad <laughs> the stuff was on my list last year. 
what if God make you kill people? <laughs> next yeah. year, okay? Next year. What if? What if? Is that next year? Yeah, that's that's before. I think yes. If we're doing, if we're splitting the seventies up into two, which I don't. Do we want to split the seventies up into two? Is there enough meat on that bone? I can always get weirder, Ben. Oh, I know you can. The next movie's an example of that. No, it isn't. This movie's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's weird. Sure, fine. Do we want to go? We want to go into the next one, real yeah, quick. Go to your number eight. Um, my number eight is a 1982 psychological horror film that comes from the great land down under in Australia, co-written and directed by a man named Tony Williams, and starring Jackie Curran and Joan Gerard. It was heavily featured in the Not Quite Hollywood documentary, where it was heavily praised by Quentin Tarantino as, of course, the movie that takes place in a retirement home. 1982, next of kin. On the house. Test of nerves. Watches. Hey, Harry, come on, hurry up. Two hamburgers coming up. Nico? Nico? And about time to kid. I was sorry about your mother, Linda. She was a good woman, Miss Mary. Thanks. You used to come in here sometimes, you know. My mother? Sure. Used to sit over in that corner for a long while. Just looking out of the window as if. As if something were on her mind, you know. Nico liked her. He liked her very much. He used to sit with her. No talking. Just sitting. What are you going to do with that big house now, Linda? Huh? This one plays a lot like a like a Giallo movie where it's like uh, through the movie I was like I think I know what's gonna happen and then the, at the end I was like no I was wrong I was wrong on that one. <laughs> I I also think much like a Giallo movie this is a lot to do with tension. This movie holds a lot of suspense and a lot of tension. Oh, it waits. It waits mm-hmm. and waits for you. To like get like get there, and then when you finally get there, like you're like, oh crap! Like that's not what I thought was gonna happen. I I don't want to spoil what happens at the end. I think this movie really does pay off, so I'm gonna try to avoid completely. Oh, good call. Uh, you, you know, tell like giving the next couple movies will probably give away everything because you know they're. I don't think they matter, the plot, necessarily, the next couple movies on my list. Not plot-heavy. This movie has a, has a really tight little script, and it, it sticks the landing. It's about this, like, retirement community. Yeah, before we get into that, let, let, let me just... I'll, I'll say where I first saw it. Um, yeah. We'll start there. So, this was put out by Severin, and... This, I think there was an old podcast. I don't. Uh, I'm not going to say the name because I think there was someone involved with it. Was a 
might have been had allegations against them but they, they brought this up some they they all kind of spoke pretty highly of it it was a movie i'd never heard of you know found the on i believe shutter and watched it and was like whoa that's crazy and then i showed my wife and we like both watched it and she loved it and i loved it and it felt wrong to leave this off my 80s list just because it's a movie that i have a profound soft spot for and a movie i think deserves a lot more attention it's i think more well known than it was when i first saw it but it's still i think to me this movie is of my list outside of the top five i think this is the movie i would pick for like no this is like a canon 80s horror movie yeah that's fair no that's that's very fair i think this is a very good example of what the 80s could be when it's actually working to in horror. And I think this kind of comes from a period of exploitation that we've kind of dipped our feet into a little bit with Dead and Drive-In that came after Long Weekend. So, you know, Australia, New Zealand, they're really good. Weirdly, I'm making little horror pieces like this. Yeah, they, they do have that ability. I, Australia is a place, like, if I had, like, just, like, infinite amount of money... I would probably like just try to like dive into each like region of the world cinema and just like try to absorb like the stuff that like people like had that have like really influenced a lot of people. Cause like you said that Quentin Tarantino praised this movie and I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense when I hear that. Cause despite this movie being low budget, it actually is very well put together. It is very well put together. You know, I'll go through the, the plot a little bit after her estranged mother's death. Linda Stevens inherits a rural estate named Montclair, which has been in her family for years and is a retirement community for the elderly. And then she starts to learn about the house. She starts to learn about her mother, her aunt Rita. And then suddenly people start to die and it becomes there's unusual events. And there's like maybe like a ghost or a haunting of some kind. And then it all kind of plays out. I'm not going to go much further than that because I want to keep the suspense because I suspect not many people have seen this movie. <laughs> See, and this is what I was saying about it being like an Australian giallo movie. There are moments in it where like you're completely thrown off. Like you think you have a handle on it. It's like, have you ever tried to grab someone in a pool while you two are like wrestling and you just can't get a hold of them because of the water? That's this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's slippery. It's it's shifting. It's never quite allows you to have a firm footing on what's happening. I think that combined with its wonderful atmosphere, I think it has a fantastic atmospheric presence, really, really does a lot. And I think it mirrors a movie that'll show up in my second half of my list. And oh, I can't wait to get to that one. Yeah. What was your favorite scene? I can't ruin it because I, like I said, I think this movie deserves, it deserves to have like certain things not spoiled, but the ending, the reveal is really good. Yeah. yeah the ending's great. The, the, the final shots, one of the best final shots in all of cinema, I think. No, you're not wrong. That, that moment you're just like, wow, that's like, that's like very intriguing. Like how'd they do that? Yeah, no, I would say that's probably my favorite scene. Yeah. It just works. I, I don't even know how to really explain it. But it just, it plays it so incredibly well. 
that's the thing about this movie. That's why it's on this list. It just works. It's just a good horror movie. I, I think this is the one on this half of the list that I think plays to the widest audience. From on my half. <laughs> See, that's very interesting. You say that, like, like I would not even think that this like would play as wide. But you're kind of right, actually. I think this is the one people would be able to walk out of the theater and be like, you know what, not so bad. Out of all of the other ones, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely for the ones Maybe coming up. Maybe extra. Maybe extra. Oh, I I don't know, my guy. That is that is a hard it's a weird ask. Movie. Yeah, that's a hard ask of some people. Like, I love my girl to death, and I think she's one of the most patient people when it comes to cinema. But honestly, I think she would have been just mad at that movie the same way. Yeah, rightfully so, I think. Yeah, it is the most accessible one on the list. That More so than that, why does it deserve to be on the list? <sighs> that's a very good question. I think this movie has... Of the movies on my list, the most it most successfully creates a tense atmosphere. I think the atmosphere is very similar to something that would be like The Shining. I know that, that that's what Tarantino said. I I've always thought of it as more like Lovecraftian until it becomes until it kind of like realizes it's not. It gaslights you, and I think that it really does. I think that that's fun. I think that that's fun. It really does gaslight you, doesn't it? Yeah. You've gotten all your love out for Next of Kin? The thing about it is that if I if I go any further into Next of Kin, I'm spoiling it, and I want people to watch it. I think people should watch it. I think it's great. Please, please, please watch it. Shall we move on to my number seven? Yes. And the next movie is from 1983. And is a movie that I put on and my girl sat down and she saw one name come across the screen. And she's like, no, I'm not doing it. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I said, this isn't like his normal movies. And she's like, we'll see. And then we watched the movie and she turned to me. She goes, no, it wasn't that bad. And that movie starts Christopher Walken, Brooke Adams, Tom Skerritt. And in a role where he comes in halfway through, even though they've kind of been building him up the whole movie, Martin Sheen. This is David Cronenberg's adaptation of Stephen King's The Dead Zone. I gotta talk to you. Hi, Johnny. What is this? What are you doing? Pretty good stuff, huh? I organized a hockey team for Chris and some of his friends, huh, Chris? We have our first practice this afternoon. You are looking at the coach. Call it off. Take that stuff in the garage, okay? There's going to be an accident. Call it off. Call it off? What for? Chris has been looking forward to this all week, huh? He's really coming out of his shell, John. Wait. I got to talk to you. A little nourishment, and then we'll hit the ice. No, no, listen to me. Call it off. There's going to be an accident. Call it off. Ridiculous. We always get on that pond until March. What the hell is the matter with you? You want to kill your own son? I'm scared, Dad. For Christ's sake, John. Don't be scared. Just go eat your cookies. Don't you know who I am? Of course I know who you are. You think I'd have you come into my son's life without checking you out? But I hired you for your abilities as a teacher, not as a fortune teller. Now, don't give me any arguments. The ice! He's gonna break! 
Walken's great in this. Walken's fantastic in this. He's not hit the level of like parody Walken yet. So anytime he kind of goes full Walken, it's it's actually like kind of earned. My favorite thing about this movie is he's playing a guy named Johnny Smith, which is <laughs> like that's first name, last name type shit. <laughs> that's like that is so boring. Hack writer Stephen King got him again. No, I'm not gonna call. I'm not gonna call Stephen King a hack, but he does lean into some Stephen King isms in this one that I find particularly annoying. Oh, don't worry. We're gonna lay into Stephen King's ass in my next movie, both for <laughs> writing and acting. <laughs> Jordy, you motherfucker! Um, oh, don't worry. It's coming. I'm polishing up my yeah, hand. No. I'm putting some talcum powder we'll get- on it. We'll get to it, even if even oh, if well. even if we have to have to space it out a couple of days. If you don't know what the premise of the Dead Zone is, do yourself a favor: Google SNL Trivial Psychic, and then just up the stakes a lot more. So while watching this, I wanted to write a sketch where a guy is at like a meeting, and he just has a vision every time he shakes someone's hand, but it's just the same vision. I don't know. To me, that's a that's a very funny idea. But we'll we'll get back to that. Brooke Adams is, is in this. She's Do cool. I, know I like Adams? her. Yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Days of Heaven, uh, Vengeance is Mine. Oh yeah. Shockwaves, which is a movie we'll one thousand percent talk about next year, along with another movie, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that we might talk about next year. Which invasion of the body snatchers is this? The uh, is the Philip Kaufman invasion of the body snatchers? This is the Donald Sutherland? Yes, the '80s, the the Sutherland yeah. one. Yeah. Thinking about it, we should we should split it. We should split it. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just already already seeing the potential, huh? Let's get weird. <laughs> Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Christopher Walken is living the good life as Johnny Smith. He's got a girl who likes him. He's doing well. He's a teacher. And then one day he has a huge accident. And I don't mean the kind where you pee yourself in front of everyone. He has a car accident. He uh, crashes car in kind of a hilarious way. Christopher Walken makes good on his monologue from Annie Hall and crashes. And we watch flames rising out of the falling gasoline in Crystal Rock, Maine, where a school teacher then goes into a coma for five years. Does that does that make sense? I mean, that's what, what happens. Said, yeah, that's, I that's feel like what I happens. Out. All right. And he wakes up and he has he now has psychic abilities. Because it's a fucking Stephen King novel. Only when he touches people, though. Only when he touches people, which is how that's how, you know, it's real psychic ability. Just that moment where he first grabs that woman's arm and he goes, you daughter, the burning. And you're just like, you're like, I'm so <laughs> You're like, I'm so happy. I'm like, I All hope right. every five, I hope every five, I hope there's a scene where he has to get on a crowded subway, like in the middle of fucking nowhere, he has to get on a crowded subway. He's like, oh or God, he's, no. He like, he's like doing like a book pitch or something and he has to shake a bunch of hands. <laughs> it's just like, oh, 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 no. Well, you know what's interesting about this? I don't know a ton about Stephen King's work, but what I do know is this. I feel like a lot of Stephen King books are very straightforward. And like in terms of like they all kind of stick to one theme. 
this movie kind of slow burns you into being like, yeah, he's going to just be a psychic. And then all of a sudden, political intrigue kind of like kicks the door in halfway through. Yeah, and then it's like, well, what if he assassinated Ronald Reagan? And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> that is like, who Sheen is playing, right. isn't it? Yeah, that's a kind thousand of, percent who Sheen is playing. It's it's like kind of like Ronald Reagan. It's like kind of this McCarthyist type guy. You know who it really feels like? Okay, it feels like Huey. Do you know who Huey Long is? No, I don't. Who's Huey Long? Oh, Christ. I'm going to have to do a god, god damn. Give like 25 seconds. Who's What did he do? So Huey, Huey Long, I think his name is Huey Long. He was the governor of Louisiana. And he was nicknamed the Kingfish. And he was... Oh, I know who this is. I know who this is. This kind of like left-wing populist senator, but also had this like fascist demagogue side to it so this really weird in the middle where he would use like the man of the people stuff but was also like a critic of franklin delano roosevelt and the new deal really kind of weird stuff the book it can't happen here by lewis sinclair is about him essentially becoming president and becoming a dictator he was assassinated in uh, 1935, one of the, uh, I'm not going to say last political assassinations because John F. Kennedy, but, you know. In his time was a very critical figure in the political movement. And that's kind of what I got out of Martin Sheen's character as this, like, he's doing, like, the populist man of the people stuff, but there's, like, a lot of this, like, fascist rhetoric and a lot of really empty rhetoric that I found very interesting and, like, kind of this critique of empty political activation. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the guy who becomes president at the end of succession? Yes. That's who he reminds me of. Yes. This, like empty empty fascist where like it's just this mirror of anxieties and um political aggression yeah i don't remember where i first saw this but i think it was another bravo one honestly it feels like a bravo one i first saw it because this movie and i think i mentioned it to naomi when i watched it uh fuck probably before october we've been planning to do this episode for a long time (laughs) just finally got to it I explained it as like this movie was just on TNT like I think it was like TNT's entire programming block for at least one whole day and so I don't know if I've ever seen it like fully sat down watched the whole thing start to finish but I definitely seen it all in chunks you know what I mean is he just like oh the dead zone's on let's watch the dead zone yeah that's fair it's weird too, because like it's a movie that's very slow, but unlike unlike American Werewolf, I feel like the slowness actually kind of builds to something, right? I don't think American Werewolf pays off with that. I think this movie's turn into like kind of not being about horror anymore and being more of a thriller. I think works to the movie's benefit and it definitely works to david cronenberg's benefit 
it definitely works for the pacing's benefit because I like kind of forgot what the movie was about in that back half, and then I'm like, oh right, like he's trying to blow up Russia, and like with a preemptive nuclear strike. That seems stupid. Yeah. Anyway, like like it does. The movie never really lets you. All of its dumb Stephen King isms, it just like blows past them. Yeah, one hundred percent. Which is nice, uh, you know. I don't like to be hung up. I, I don't want to get hung up on Stephen King because I think, you know, th- th- there's some so much to be said about his, his work. But I don't think you're gonna have a lot of people saying the Dead Zone is his best work. <laughs> no, no, no. This is like a, this is like a. You feel like he may have banged this out over like two weekends. He was just like, this isn't one where he was like, oh yeah. He goes, this is the one they're gonna remember me for. He's like, ah, the dead zone. He goes, well, on to the next thing. It was the book after The Stand and The and, and the Shining, so. Oh, yeah, no, he was taking yeah. it easy. Can't be first. He he takes it easy for a little bit, because then he does Firestarter, and then Cujo. When he gets back As on that we all know, uh, horse. He wrote, he, all know, he wrote Cujo over one cocaine-addled weekend. Yes, he did. He doesn't remember anything about it. That's not good. That is not true. He actually has a very funny story about where the idea for Kuja came from. Anyway, let's finish up the dead zone. What's uh, your favorite scene? I mean, I hate to keep going back to Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, but when that guy puts those scissors on that thing and then proceeds to essentially, like, kill himself with them, that scene's fucking horrifying. That's pretty rough, man. That and any time Walken's holding hands with somebody. You thought of Yeah. You thought of I really love the scene where they do like the press conference and like the guy keeps pressing him and then he like touches him and he's like, (laughs) he like essentially like does the whole ESP thing on him. I think that's fun. It's a dumb kingism, but you know, I think it's fun. If we're talking about unintentionally funny moments and it is not funny, when Martin Sheen grabs that kid to use as a bulletproof vest at the end of that movie... It is. That is just that just gets me every time. I'm just I'm just I, almost like wearing my knee out. I don't want this to sound aloof or flippant, but I think in the 80s that would have worked. That would have that would have probably ended his campaign. But now I think you would have people just being like, no, he was hot. He was he it's smart. He was he was high. You know, it's smart. Yeah. Put someone else in front of him. I don't care if it's a child. Who cares? I could 1,000% see people arguing. Oh, yeah. That is fine. Oh, absolutely. And it deserves to be on the list because, man, you know, we need to feature a Cronenberg on here. And this one, even though I think Videodrome is probably a better made movie overall, I just kind of have more fun with this one. It's it's a lighter Cronenberg, which is also weird to say. It is a lighter Cronenberg, and I think you can't have me just being like, no, Videodrome, no, Scanners, like, you gotta, you gotta have room for the, for the four-quadrant Cronenberg. That's very true. When Cronenberg goes mainstream. Don't worry, don't worry, next year, next year we got a banger. I'm sure we do, I'm sure we do. I think we've talked enough about the dead zone, I think we've gone to the center of that zone maybe to the end zone of the den zone and i think we can move on to your number seven are you saying that we got a touchdown when talking about the dead zone if only that movie was about football but like every but he was like he was the class nerd but every time he touched one of the other players he knew the next play like that's the movie i want 
I I similarly would like a movie <laughs> where uh, the dead zone, the metaphorical dead zone, is constructed similar to that of an end zone. So he has to go 100 yards before assassinating the president. I don't know where that was going, but I think I wrangled that thought in. Yeah, definitely. I think I think I got there in the end. Yeah, no, you nailed it. You're doing you're doing good. I'm getting I'm getting there. Yeah. Oh, so tell tell us about your number seven. Right, my number seven. My number seven comes to us by way of France and the middle of rural Wisconsin, directed by someone who's father was a director or worked on movies it's a little bit of a gore film a little bit of a psychic film and a little bit of a slasher film and also mostly barely a movie it is the 1982 supernatural slasher film written by a guy whose english was not his first language about a samurai in armor who kills members of a family Two of which have psychic abilities. That is, of course, the 1982 film, Blood Beat. Ben, how are you? How you doing? What's up? Hey. Yay! Golly, golly, oh! Oh, you look good. You two look great. It's good to see you again. Where'd you get him? Got him up in the pines, the same place you got that buck two years ago, remember? Oh, yeah, one? that was nice. a good one. Nice. Yeah. All right, here's <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. This is a good friend of mine, Sarah. This is Gary. Oh, I'm sorry, Al. My hands are still bloody. Don't be afraid. Uh, and call me Gary, please. It's food. It's food. Where's Mom? She's painting. Oh, she's in the house. Not anymore. Mom! My baby! Huh? Hi! Oh, I you. I'd like you to meet Sarah, Mom. Sarah, you're welcome here. are probably saying oh good here comes ben he's gonna go get on those uh shit kicking boots to start laying into tyler about the movies now you back the fuck off i kind of loved blood beat blood beat is not good i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna no. say it's like a a good movie but it is a i think it is like a psychic experience that is no, it's something it's, to behold, I would say. Yeah, well, that is definitely a way to look at it. It is something to behold. I remember sitting there at work because my work is basically closing down. And it's it's basically like I would say in an in an eight hour day, I probably do somewhere in the neighborhood of like three to maybe three and a half hours of actual work. The rest of it is me just like kind of like trying to stay busy and do other stuff. But 
it spreads itself throughout the day. So I've had a lot of time and I was watching blood beat. And at one point the samurai just shows up and starts killing people. And I went, what the Christ is happening? And my coworker, Emily goes, what are you watching? She's like, I'm like blood beat. And she goes, what's that? I'm like, it's a movie. I said, I don't know if I can really explain to you the plot, but there's now a samurai and he's killing people in Wisconsin. She goes, how did he get to Wisconsin? I said, your guess is as good as mine, Emily. I don't know. (laughs) The best that I can tell is that the samurai armor and sword becomes possessed by the former spirit of the samurai that owned it. And that is why it is killing people. I'm not arguing with you, but I'm asking you, where did that armor come from? They found it in a trunk. And that's, that's, that's the, that's the, that's it. That's, they like, just, they just find it one night. I don't know how it got there. I don't know if they bought it secondhand. I, they just find it and it starts murdering people. I think the Bloodbeat feels like the only real way that I can explain it is it feels like you're reading a book that maybe is a good book or at the very least like a fun pulp exercise, but someone has indiscriminately ripped out pages. And so you're just constantly just like, what is happening? You're not wrong there. I was literally sitting there and I was like, I was like, is there parts of this movie missing? Like, <laughs> oh, and by the, by the logic of your description, because your and my father have watched movies, you and I should be able to make movies. If that's the standard that it sets, because this guy's father made movies. Jesus Christ, you and I are vastly more adept at like recognizing things in films that do and do not work. And by that logic, we should only get in for that. In order to describe the overall effect of Bloodbeat, a simple story, I think. So the movie is shot in four by three because somewhere along the way, the director of photography Vladimir Boulay, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I don't know if he is a Wisconsin native or if he is a a Frenchman, but I think there was a language barrier between him and the director, and he he thought the movie was being shot for television and not for theaters, so he shot it in 4x3 instead of widescreen, which is what the director wanted. And the director took so long to find out that by the time he realized that it was being shot in full screen rather than widescreen, they'd already shot like half of their shooting days. So it was just like, well, I guess it's just being shot in four by three. The other thing that the director has said about this movie is that he was so high under the influence of drugs throughout the writing, directing, uh, and, and a process of putting this movie together that the name Bloodbeat apparently comes from the, uh, the feeling of your heart like accelerating when you're high. I was curious as to what Bloodbeat was, and now I know. And I'll tell you, it doesn't live up to me just living in the unknown of what Bloodbeat is. This movie was originally going to be like the kind of not outlier of the last list, but it was supposed to be like definitely the weirdest one. And I don't think it is quite the weirdest one, but I will tell you the first time I saw this movie is I did the Blood Triple Feature. Ben, have you, have I told you about this? No. So Blood Triple Feature is, I went to the movie store, I rented three movies, and then I went to the Plaid Pantry and I rented a six-pack of beer. <laughs> the three movies I rented were Blood Hook, Blood Harvest, and Blood Beat. 
And the triple feature essentially is you eat dinner during the first one, you drink two of your six pack beers, and they have to be like, I'm I'm talking like seven point zero and above on the ABV. You gotta get you gotta get real 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 swifty with this one. So you watch Bloodhook, which is like a kind of fun regional movie. These are all from like the north northern midwest corridor so they're all from minnesota and wisconsin you start with that one it's more of like a campy fun goofy movie have a little bit of fun and then you get to blood harvest which is a really weird slasher movie that stars tiny tim as a clown i've seen that one. Oh god that movie's it's, weird it's a weird movie and during the course of that movie you, you you just drink two more beers and then before you start blood beat you smash the last two and then you just kind of sip on water and you try and try and stay awake during blood beat and it feels psychedelic it was really impossible to understand what is happening with that movie what's wrong with you and i've loved it ever since what's wrong with you watching blood beat is is uh, kind of like having a concussion i don't think i've ever had a concussion but that is accurate <laughs> yeah and i sent you the dvd so you you get to own it forever and ever unless you want to send it back to me oh no i'm keeping that <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna punish other people it's the perfect I, every year during october people around me are like what should i watch for like october horror movies and i'm like fucking bloodbeat baby What's the one that I that I've started to it's a lot classier, but Cure has become anytime someone's like, oh, what's a good horror movie? I go Cure and they go, what's that? I go, you'll see. You'll, you'll figure see. it out. Yeah, you'll you'll learn that or Demon Knight. I showed her Demon Knight. She was bored beyond beyond recognition. I was so annoyed, but I understand uh, it. She loved she loved Billy Zane, though. Billy Zane's great. Yeah, he is great. What is it about? Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. It's about. A samurai, there's a psychic, and that's that's pretty much all I got. Why why are there psychics? I feel I think like if you, you want gotta... a more broad oh. overview, it takes place during Christmas at a farmhouse in rural Wisconsin. I... And it's about a family. What's the Jason versus Carrie movie? Friday the thirteenth, part seven. I feel that the guy who saw this movie the night before he started writing it saw that movie and then got a head injury and was like, yes, this will be my movie that I pull inspiration from, except I'm going to make Jason a samurai. I, I wish that was the case, but it would have to be a premonition. So maybe maybe this guy is psychic. <laughs> Damn it. Because that's all I thought of when I saw this. I was like, I was like, ah, oh, this is like a really bad version of that movie in some ways. But I don't hate this movie. I kind of love its spirit. It's it's got a it's got a real weird, real weird spirit to it that is I think a lot of fun. If you're in the right headspace, I think watching this sober is a tougher road to hoe than watching it um, after taking a couple huge bong rips. That's fair. What is your favorite scene? Anytime the movie just for no reason goes thermal. Yeah, it does do that. It, 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 that, that is, I think, my, one of my favorite bad horror movie cliches is it just kind of out of nowhere is just like, 
oh, we're in thermal vision. And you're like, why? And they're just like, oh. <laughs> For me, it's whoever those two people who are killed by the samurai, like, midway through the movie, but the guy is constantly asking his wife to go get him stuff while him and the dog hang out on the bed. I was just sitting there and I was like, this is the best moment in this movie in some ways. It's just this yeah. guy constantly not being pleased with everything he's gotten. The movie has moments where you're like, oh, okay, I can kind of see what's... And then, it, and then it does something, it'll do something that is just like, you're just like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and finally, why is it on the list? I think the fact that every year try and fail to get people to to fucking to watch this goddamn movie and i just like continue to try i think i've gotten successfully two people interested in the movie and both people have come back and be like why do you hate me like what's what's the point of this and i think i'm i think i i'm always gonna want to do that it's a great weird movie that it shouldn't exist by all rights it should not exist but it does and i have to love it i mean it's got an indomitable spirit i'll give you that but i'm i'm glad you showed it to me i'm not sure i'll ever watch it again unless i'm just like unless like i've got just a bunch of people over and they're all like it's like that time of the year it's october and they're like uh let's watch something like really weird i was like okay you asked for it like Y'all could have picked something safe, but you guys chose to let this happen. You're all stoned and, you know, passing around a joint, and you're like, well, what should we watch? And you're just like, I have just the thing, and it's a fucking copy of this. Not to invoke his name again, but do you remember the scene where they get high with Donald Sutherland in Animal House? And yeah. um, he goes and closes the windows and, like, closes the shades and he lights that match and, like, the, just the smile on his face. That's me putting in blood beat for people who don't know. <laughs> Ugh. Anything else you want to say about it? It is the closest, I think, a real movie that actually exists in the real world comes to being actually, like, haunted and like a cursed object because it is a movie that I think after I watched it, it felt like it haunted my waking life. It was crazy. Oh, that's unsettling. And this is, and this is a positive review. Yeah, I know. That's, that's why it's scary. (laughs) I think that takes us on to my number six and the last movie for this week for mine. And we go to 1982 In what might be the largest cast Mr. George A. Romero has ever directed, written by Stephen King in an original screenplay, with just a stacked cast, if you look at it, such people as Hal Holbrook, Leslie Nielsen, Adrian Barbeau, E.G. Marshall, Ed Harris, Ted Danson, Joe Hill, and honestly, Stephen King himself in a very, very funny and bad performance. This is the 1982 anthology movie, Creep Show. Oh! Oh! Oh, just get out. Get out of here! Just... Richard! Richard, will you get it out of here? Well, now. Found a friend, Harry. 
I'm just wild about Harry. Well, Richard, get her out of here. He's just getting revenge, Harry, for all the relatives of his that you ate, baked and stuffed at my maison. Bad fellow, you all you bad fellow. Money. Look, I am money. I'll give you anything. Just get, just get me out of this hole, all right? Well, I have something here, Harry. Take your mind off. Come on, Richard, please. It's your <laughs> Becky. That great video. I love this stuff. Now, just look at the quality of that picture, Harry. Somebody! Becky! No! Becky! Can't hear you. I'm sorry. She lost a coin toss. I had to bury her further down the beach. Oh. Couldn't even leave her a monitor. Would have shorted out by now. No, no. No, that's a trick. You son of a bitch! That's some, uh, some kind of, uh, special effects trick, isn't it? If you just take a look at the VCR back there. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't turn your head. Let me assure you, Harry, the VCR is not on play. It's on record. I'm gonna save this stuff. Two of you are part of my whole movies. You're insane. Oh. Don't be lying now, not long at all. Oh, my God. You are insane. You haven't seen Knight Riders, have you? Mm-mm. Knight Riders got a lot of people in it. Not, like, a stacked cast, but just, like, a big cast. This movie right before this. You should watch Knight Riders. It's a good movie. It's also real long. Two and a half hours? Jesus Christ. Oh, and you know what? I forgot to say it. We always forget to say it. Tom Savini. Who will show up Tom next Savini. week on my list, too? And Ed Harris and Night Riders. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Not a horror movie, uh, but people should watch Night Riders. Fair enough. You always forget that, that George A. Romero made some non-horror movies. What if I just, like, started arguing that Martin isn't a horror movie? <laughs> it's just a documentary about a guy. Uh, I love Creepshow. I just think it's so fun. It's really good. I'm certain we'll talk about Romero again next week. Because, you know, 78, pretty big year for that guy. Pretty big year for horror movies in general. But if it wasn't for the Dead series, this would also be a really good movie to have to hang your hat on. And I feel like this movie probably didn't do well at the time of its release. That's not true. I think it, I mean, it was a King movie at the time, so I'm assuming it did fairly well at the box office. He had 21 million, which is pretty good on $8 million budget. You know, that's, that's, that's more than double. That's almost triple its budget. You're right. I just, I just wouldn't think this would do well, but I mean, just the people he got to be in this and like what he asks of them is so insane. I think we are far enough away from the tales from the crypt of it all because uh, at the time that this was made it would have been a decade after the last british anthology anthology film and a, like 30 years after the last comic book had come out so it, it seemed kind of like the perfect time for this to to really go forth in my opinion, 
Were you a big fan before we get into the questions? Were you a big fan of have you ever, ever been a fan of Tales from the Crypt? Like the 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 comic book, not the not the the TV show. You know, it's something I wish I would have been able to get into, but I just I've never been able to find it. Like I'm sure yeah. if it was I'm sure if it was put in front of me, I would love it because you're asking me to read a comic book, which I love, and then combine it with like a horror element where it's like a self-contained story, which I love. Those two things sound like they should go together perfectly. They did a reboot of the Twilight Zone in comic form, like in the mid 2010s, which was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, I can't see why I wouldn't love like Tales from the Crypt. So your problem was the same. My problem is it was a thing that I was everybody always talked about. You know what I mean? Like everybody was like, oh, Tales from the Crypt, like was this like horror touchstone for five years in the mid 50s you know from 1950 to 1955 before the comics code was invented and it was impossible to read any of it so i just heard people talking about it and so it's like lived up like mythically in my head and so i think creep show is what i think about when i think about Mm -hmm. tales from the crypt or the tv show obviously Creepshow, having read a couple of the of the Tales from the Crypt books now as an adult, I think Creepshow is a much, much, <laughs> a much more true to life adaptation of what those comic books were like. Well, it's where King pulled a lot of his inspiration from. I mean, like, he basically said this is like, he goes, this was my love letter to EC Comics. I mean, it was also Romero's love because Romero loved them, too. They both had a shared love of EC Comics because they wrote most of the of the scripts together, if I remember right. I, I would imagine so. It says King is the credited writer, but I would not be surprised if Romero was there helping. Because I know that for the second movie, they're credited to both Romero and King. So I'm assuming Romero just was like, yeah, just give King the credit. Like, who, like, like I don't need the credit on this one obviously anyway that's all besides the weeds where did you first hear about this bravo 100 scariest movie moments yeah it's number 99 i literally rewatched it recently so at some point this this month probably gonna put it on and just put it on Uh, in the background while i good news the whole thing the whole thing uninterrupted is on youtube who cares about my stupid who cares about my stupid copy that I have on my hard drive somewhere? I'm watching it on YouTube, baby. Okay. I just wish they had the commercials. Anyway. I know you do. I know you do. You little weirdo. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I like the commercial. I, I know you I, do. I watched uh, eight films to die for, and there was twenty literally, honest to God, twenty minutes of trailers before the movie got to the, the DVD main menu. And I was living for it. I'm, I know, I know. You have you have the most eclectic taste when it comes to what you want to devote your time to. With me, I am slamming the get to menu button as hard as I can through most stuff. Unless it's like a DVD from like the mid-2000s, then I'm curious to see what the trailers are. Because every once in a while, a trailer oh. will come up for something that was in theaters while I was working there. I'll be like, oh, this takes me back. Oh, it was uh, Eight Films to Die For, 2008. It was the third year they did it. It was The Broken. Not a good movie. And so all of the trailers were like, oh, it's it's fucking Crank 2. <laughs> so this is 
an anthology movie. I want to ask you, because I looked at your letterbox review of this, and I just want to go through them in the order that you think they are worst to best. You got it. So you think the weakest one is the lonesome death of Jody Verrill. I think that's the weakest one, and it's not just because of King's performance. Don't it help. It is because I... It doesn't help. I don't love the tit, like the comedy Tales from the Crypt. I'm not, I've never been a comedy horror guy, and I, I think the Tales from the Crypt stuff that's like more comedy-focused, I always thought was kind of weird. Now, I will say this. I know I said that Bravo is the first place I ever saw this. That is both true and not true. The first time I was aware of what I was seeing with Creepshow was Bravo. However, years before the Bravo thing, I was dialing around the channels one night, and I came across this movie while looking at other stuff, and I saw the scene where he's all covered in the green fur, and then he puts the shotgun to his face, and he says, please, God, let me be right, and pulls the trigger. That's the first thing I ever saw of Creepshow. All right, yeah. I will say the final image works, and I think that's mostly because you don't see King. (laughs) Yeah, it's very true. Oh, Jody Verrill, you lunkhead. And I I don't think he's necessarily that bad for what the story is asking him, but... Man, I don't know. I don't love it. She was quite bemused by the term lunkhead, so... Lunkhead's fun, and that's such a kingism, for like, for sure. Okay, so, so far you and I are on the same page. I agree that The Lonesome Death of Jody Verrill is the weakest one. Your next one is The Crate. I don't know if it's the placement of The Crate. It's also, like, the longest one. This is where I'm like, no, 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 no. From here on, like, they're good. I think these are all good. I think the lonesome death of, of Jody Verrill, if it was like a standalone, I'd be like, all right, that's like a two out of five or like a 2.5 out of five. But like from here on, we're talking about like good, entertaining stuff. I just happen to not like this one the most. Also, I kind of laughed out loud when they showed the monster. She she also was like, she's like, what the fuck is that? I'm like, I don't know, some sort of monster. She goes, looks like a monkey. And I was like, fair enough. But you don't hate the fact that Adrian Barbeau goes the way she does. Adrian Barbeau is great in this. She's so mean to Hal Holbrook. So mean to Hal Holbrook, who is also very good in this and deserves the ending that he gets. He thinks he's getting away with it, but the creature is coming back to kill him. Most likely. I mean, I don't know how the Most creature is going to find him. It doesn't seem like it has a lot of directional sense to it. But the thing is, the creature is going to kill everyone. Yeah, once it gets out of that quarry, like, we're all fucked. Like, until someone can get, like, a high-powered rifle and just put that sucker down. I don't even know if that's going to do it. That is one of the things I love about um, Tales from the Crypt, is people using what is clearly an apocalyptic creature or scenario and being like, you know what, I can off my wife with this. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what. I could use this to help cure cancer, but I'm just going to use it to kill me wife. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that in Tales from the Crypt. It is very true. And we'll get to this one. I would put Father's Day where the crate is. I think Father's Day is next, right? No, you have their creeping up on you, which is exactly Uh, where I would put it. We only have two differences. 
I would put the crate where they're creeping up on you is. So okay. uh, if you push everything forward and move Father's Day to number four, that's that's where I would put that. But they're creeping up on you is exactly where you would have it. But I would have it, I think, one rung higher. I think they're creeping up on you is a, is a fantastic final. It's a good close Coding. and it's very it's a good creepy. Close. Because it, it does what I think Tales from the Crypt is really good at doing, which is like doing like a little bit of um, like gesturing towards social problems and constructs, mm-hmm. but also just being like, you just kind of want to watch a guy who sucks die. He really does, too. I don't know if I've ever seen that guy in anything else, but he will always be ups and prat to me, no matter what else oh. he does. E.G. Marshall has was in like everything. He was on TV. He was everywhere. One of those guys, mostly a TV guy, I would say, probably most known for you know just being in Twelve Angry Men now, I guess, because kids love that movie for some reason. He was around as long as to be in like the Tommy Knockers and fucking Chicago Hope. He's in a bunch of stuff. Wild. Yeah, for me, he's Upson Pratt, and he is just this rich old fuck who is like super agoraphobic and then gets what he fucking deserves because he's also a bit of a racist, too. Bit of a racist? Just a bit of a just a ornery prick in general. And 100% deserves the murder that he gets. I think I know him. At, he's one of the, the guys in um, the Kane Mutiny. So. We move from their creeping up on you to Father's Day. Now, I would put their I would put their creeping up on you where Father's Day is. Put the crate where they're creeping up on you is, and then put Father's Day right before Jordy. Why do you love Father's Day this much? I think it's a fucking banger of an opening. I think Ed, you think Ed Harris is gonna just the way it plays with expectation and how you think Ed Harris is going to be like the main character and like solve this whole thing because the way he's being introduced and like coming into the family and then you have that old guy yelling about Bedelia. That's really funny. And I, I laugh every time. I think it's, is it Warner Shook as the old man? I don't know. No. I also think it is the one with the most amount of shades of gray. It's it's really not trying to do the traditional tales from the crypt. You have a bad guy, you have a good guy. Bad guy gets just desserts. It's like everybody's kind of bad. Everybody kind of sucks. There's really no one to root for. And then someone has a headstone fall on their head. And it's it's just a wonderful little story i also love the way it uses the it's also i think the one that has the most amount of comic book effects used Mm -hmm. in like just setting up the shots and i think that that's really inventive and i wish romero had kind of gone that way with more of the stories but I, i really think it's a great opening to the movie they do abandon that throughout it and you are correct it is warner shook warner shook him screaming Bedelia where's my cake you bitch is fantastic I will say Father's Day also has a quote in it that I use a lot which is squeaks to a halt as they say I don't know why but I have just that's found its way 
into my like into my vernacular like all the time. Like I'll just always say like squeaks to a halter. I'll say stops on a dime, as they say. But all I can just picture is Bedelia <laughs> with that big cigarette in her mouth, just like going on. And then our number one, our collective number one, which we are both agreed on, something to tide you over. This is the one where if like it was a short film, I think it's like an automatic like five stars. It's the best thing. It is clearly the best thing about this movie. Um, if you've never seen Creepshow, you've never seen something to tide you over, do that. It's fantastic. It's exactly what you think it is. It feels like it should come with like a Crypt Keeper or Creepshow guy vocal, full-throated narration about what's about to happen. It's great. Leslie Nielsen's great. Ted Danson's great. Has Leslie Nielsen ever played a better dick? Like, not something he has to do all that often, but man, he should have done it more. I think... Is he kind of a dick in the Poseidon adventure? Yeah, a little bit, but I mean, like... I want Leslie Nielsen to be, like, the guy in, like, a court movie who's part of, like, a big company who's, like, looks at the lawyer of, like, the defense and, like, says, I don't pay you to think. I pay you to win, sir. Like, I want him to be that guy. I want Leslie Nielsen to be, like, the guy who's, like, he goes, we do it because we have money. Like, that's the kind of guy I want. Like, when he buries Ted Danson's ass up in that sand and you're just like, well, this is going to fucking suck. And then he goes home and turns on nine separate small televisions just to watch. And you're just like, what a brick. There is a sweet spot in the 80s where he he's like double dipping, where he's kind of doing like comedy movies and also doing like horror and other dramatic stuff. And then it, by the late 80s, uh, it becomes all comedy. There's some in here where I'm like, no, maybe he's a dick in that. I haven't heard of most of these. I have seen him in Prom Night where he plays like the, the harangued principal. Oh, that's that's enough for me to for me to tune into Prom Night now. It's not good, but you know, you got Jamie Lee Curtis. I do like Jamie Lee Curtis. It's one of the few movies where the sequel is a significant step upward uh in my well and you know this is something that i want to ask you as well what is your favorite scene there's something about when upson pratt calls the wife of the guy who killed himself (laughs) like that is such a strange moment um that it gets me like every single time how about you? Ah, man, that's a good one. I think it's when Leslie Nielsen is like kind of buried Ted Danson and he's kind of just explaining what's going on. And then he doesn't just explain it. He then proceeds to turn on a television set and he's like, check this shit out. And it's just like, oh, you dick. You're a fucking bastard. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you're a real tool, Leslie Nielsen. And I mean, why is it on the list? Because it's probably one of the best anthology movies, not only of the 80s, but of all time. Like, I feel like Creepshow might be the benchmark for every movie that tries to set out to do an anthology movie. Gotta say, I think I think this the movie in, in my memory used to be considerably better remembered. And so I think it's strange that it when I saw it on your list, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> Creepshow. <laughs> um, uh 
because I think Romero's career gets completely overshadowed by the the Night of the Dead and, you know, Dawn of the Dead stuff, which is fair enough. Those are all fantastic movies, and I'm not saying, like, people shouldn't love those. But, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more love for his older stuff, or for his other stuff. Yeah, like, like, enjoy the fact that those zombie movies exist, and without him, we might not have a certain genre of movies, but, like, also recognize the fact that, like, if, I mean, like, let's just go through it. I mean, you have the original Crazies. I would also say Season of the Witch is a pretty solid early film of his. Uh, but yeah, the Crazies, Martin, I think is going to turn some heads when the restoration of that finally comes out. I'm going to say Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines, yeah. Monkey, Monkey Shines, Shines is a movie. Oh, it is. Weird movie. Two Evil Eyes. Have you ever seen Two Evil Eyes? No, never have. It's pretty good oh it's also got adrian barbeau in it is she a bitch to harvey keitel i don't remember i mean I and a movie that it... we've what's that it was like it, i thought king was somehow involved in it but it's argento that's right and, and another both... movie that we've talked about on this show the dark half dark half i think is fucking mad underrated it's so good um i I think I'm going to give a bruise. What is it? Bruiser. 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 I'm going to give Bruiser a chance. I don't know what this movie is, but I love Jason Fleming and Peter Stormare. That movie's got my attention. Looks creepy. Indeed. Well, you know what else is maybe creepy, but for different reasons. It's your number six. And I want you to tell us about your number six. My number six. Oof. Oh boy. Okay. So my number six is a movie also from 1982. It is also a supernatural slasher, but it is written by and starring musician John Wintergate and a bunch of his friends. Uh, it also involves uh, telekinesis and it looks really off putting when you watch the Blu ray version that I own. And that is, of course, the 1982 film Boarding House. Oh, it's great. Go on in. No, I hope this sun shows out soon. I want to get a tan. It's too cold right now. Hi, girls. Like to hear some of our new songs? Oh, you guys just finished your new master, huh? I'm still working on demos. Hi, Sumi. morning ladies hi everybody hi. aren't you hot in those pants a little but i certainly don't need a tan <laughs> gloria how'd your date go last night do politicians do more than just talk steven mason mr personality is great steve mason my father financed a couple of his campaigns he's good looking he an activist? He's as active as I could handle. Well, why don't you bring him around here? I like active, sexy men. Hey, Debbie, how do you like your little room? Oh, it's perfect. Listen, I've got Ann Saxon's book on interior design. She did the White House and other things. My mother will swear by her. No, thank you. I like it just the way it is. Debbie, would you like me to help you move some stuff out of your room? <laughs> 
It's been taken care of already, thank you. If I get a job and they need any extra girls, should I have them call? Sure. Victoria, telephone. Oh, okay. I'll be right back. Do any of you guys want some Coke? Yeah, with some ice. Oh yeah, this is this is the one where I get yelled at. No, no, Mac. I'll do the yelling. Okay, you you aren't even remotely close to being fed. It's not even your time to complain. It's my time. What the Christ are you trying to pull here? Do you know how annoyingly hard this movie was to get through? And it's not even that. I'm just going to get this out of the way, and then I want you to talk about it because you're obviously passionate about it. I just want to get this one point out of the way. Had you put anything else below this, I don't think I'd be as upset. But you did not put angst, bloodbeat, or any of the other movies that you chose to put on your list next of kin, any of these should be should be lower on the list than this it makes no sense this movie is infuriating the cutaways are like when they end a jackass sketch like <laughs> it is so fucking frustrating like i i tyler i love titties i absolutely love them and this movie has so many titties it becomes annoying i didn't think that was possible go ahead what where is How? the first place you ever saw this so the first place I ever saw this is uh, there's another podcast that talked about it called the Sleazoids Podcast. I think the guy they had on was Steve Carlson, who is probably the first foremost expert on this movie. And he talks about it, and what he talked, what he what he said about it that made me want to track this movie down immediately and watch it was that this is the first movie ever shot on video to be released semi wide. In the United States. And what that means is in, I think, 1981, Sony released the first ever public grade camcorder that can be used at home. And this was the first movie ever to be shot on the videotape and then transferred. The problem was they did not know how to release these films when they were made. And so this one got released once it was shot, it was edited down to its, I think, 88-minute runtime. There's 10 extra minutes for the home video cut, but we're not going to talk about that. But the 88-minute runtime was then transferred and struck onto a 35-millimeter print and then played. That is the reason why I sent you my Blu-ray copy, because it is a transfer of a 35 millimeter print of this movie. And so it plays extremely weird to watch a 35 millimeter print on a Blu-ray of a film shot on video. It feels just wrong and weird, and it gives this movie this weird psychic harm that it is doing to you at all times when you're watching the movie. On top of that, the movie makes no sense, like, at all. I The plot is bonkers. What plot? Oh, sorry. <laughs> we'll get to the plot. You meant the first time I ever saw this. Eventually, a company by the name of AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive, released the movie on Blu-ray 
with the director's cut, which was the unofficial 157 minute version. And if anybody wants to send me $50 uh, to get me to watch that, uh, let me know. Is that how much that movie costs? No, just you got to pay me $50 to watch a 157 minute version of this movie. (laughs) Do you own that version? Yeah. I think you should watch it because you chose to buy this thing. That's true. To pull from my review that I wrote on Letterboxd, this feels like someone did The Room, but as a horror movie. Yeah, that's a very good way of uh, describing it. Yeah, if I had to, like, I know my friend Annie would fucking love this movie. Because that's exactly the way this plays. I mean, I'm not going to say that it completely fails in every sense of the word. I actually think some of the gore is actually pretty fun. But it doesn't feel earned in any respect. It's like, it's just like the house is evil. And then like, like, also your second movie with psychic people. Yep. I think I think I think you can kind of tell what I was going for with the back half of this list. So the reason these these are seven and six is I felt like it would totally wrong foot the entire list to have them at ten and nine. So I put them I I took them here at six, six and seven. Yeah. Listen, there's a method to my madness. Oh, I'll bet there is. I've only seen one of your movies for next week thus far. And you're lucky I started with that one because it's a real nice fucking apology for this one. Don't worry that next week's the, the no, nothing nearly as bad as this. Well, oh, but don't you don't you fucking say it if it's not true. Because well, I come back well. next week with something that I come back next week with something. You're going to fucking get it. OK, there's one that's weird, but it's a movie that fucking rules. I assume that's the number one if I had to guess. Number one rules, but it's not weird. Well, I'll just let the movies do the talking. Yeah, you, that's probably best. What is this movie about? And I'm legitimately asking. That's not just the question for the show. So ostensibly, the movie is about how the boarding house that is run by Jim Royce, who I think is played by the actor, writer, director, editor of this piece, John Wintergate, is haunted question mark and then because he's a cool young guy has eight women move in who are all models (laughs) and their names are sandy Susie, cindy gloria pam and terry and then just bad things happen there's a detective nothing really happens for like a full hour and then everybody dies first of all he's not a cool young guy he looks like he gets progressively older every time the camera fades in and out. I think he may have signed a deal with the devil, and the devil was like, I'll let you make a movie, but every time you yell cut, you age 45 minutes faster. <laughs> it would make sense why there's so many long takes in this movie. Does he bang all of them? I think so. I'm like not going to say yes for sure. Like, this movie makes Malibu Express look chaste all i'm gonna say yeah you're not wrong i think the reason i have it on the list and this will answer the question the reason it's on my list is because it is kind of like a landmark moment in horror cinema to like this like turn pivot to sov because you can do whatever you want on sov apparently is what everybody was learning 
there is no gods or masters. You can just you can just show whatever you want, and it doesn't have to make sense at all, and it'll still make money. God, I mean, I would hope it did because for goddamn, it doesn't feel like it should be as long. I mean, it didn't help that I also watched it on like on like Plex, which had felt like it had commercials every seven minutes. It's why I sent you the Blu-ray. I was hoping to get it to you in time so that you could watch it without having to sit through the commercials. That didn't happen, so who knows? Maybe I'll subject Brianna to it. Don't watch the whole thing. Just just watch, like, the first couple minutes. Watch the weird effect it has, the distancing effect it has between the SOV and the, the, the film grain. Because it feels real... It feels really strange. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say. What is your favorite scene, if you can pick out one? I think when the eyeballs pop out of that girl's head. That's, That's a cool. good one. That's a good one, too. I don't disagree. And I like when it went to credits. That was that was the scene I enjoyed a lot. I think the opening to the Mahalan Drive... Hey, wait a minute. That's my line. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Why does it deserve to be on the list? Aside from it being the first shot on video film, I think it's also... <laughs> it's just also been... It's just it's just a fucking weird goddamn movie. It just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It's stupid, but I love it. It shouldn't exist. It feels like something came from another reality into this world and all that we ended up left with is a is a blu-ray of a of a 35 millimeter film print of a of a fucking Betamax tape. And you just you watch it, and your ma- your brain just goes, "I cannot handle this information," and it starts to melt. Yeah, no, that is very very true. Oh my god, that's a that's a very apt description of why it probably should be on the list. It is a game changer in not the right way, but some ways. It led to other movies that were up for consideration for its spot, which like Sledgehammer and. Ben, I hate to put it to you, but there was going to be a shot on video movie on my list. I don't think I can talk about 80s horror and not have a movie that was shot on a camcorder. Be oh, that's fine. I have no problems with that. I have a problem with the movie itself. This movie could have been shot on toilet paper and it still wouldn't have worked for me. Fair. It just isn't for me. It's just, it's confounding, really, is more the problem. I, I don't have a problem with the filming part. It's like, shoot it on whatever you want. I mean, you get Martin Scorsese a fucking iPhone, he'll probably get you something out of it. <laughs> I was trying to think of another movie that would have been around this time that I, I would have picked. Yeah, probably would have been Sledgehammer. You've never seen Sledgehammer, have you? No, I have not. Terrible movie. Well, that's good. I'm glad maybe that one didn't show up. <sighs> well... You excited for next week? Very excited for next week. Get to talk it's about Halloween, some of my, my favorite man. movies. Yeah, yeah, top fives. Yeah. And we will join you guys then, and I'm still not going to welcome them back, because as you said, this one's for us. This one's for us. <laughs> yeah, at the end of next week's one, you guys will hear what we're going to start doing as our new procedure. And yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe we don't <laughs> no, tell no, Maybe. Oh, I thought I was like, oh, you're out, huh? You're not even going to show up. Oh, no, no, I'll show up. I'm just saying maybe we don't tell him. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Well, for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I've, of course, been your host, Ben. 
And I'm Tyler. And join us next week, guys, for five to one. And uh, just remember, guys, if you go to Wisconsin, don't don't buy any samurai armor. If you are involved with telekinesis in some way, you should probably talk to a doctor. Talking, 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 Phil.